You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Church, so good to be with all of you here this morning. If you are new, welcome. My name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor here. We're so glad that you decided to make Radiant a part of your weekend. Listen, how about that throwback just a little while ago to shout to the Lord? Come on, someone was blessed by that this morning. Man, such a good time of being in God's presence in worship. Well, listen, today we're in part number two. We started this message series last week entitled Living Free, Finding Freedom in Christ. And no matter where you're at in your journey with Christ, all of us really face these sins or sometimes these negative destructive thought patterns. They can be destructive habits that we face, that we battle with, that we wrestle with continually. In the old King James Version, it says it like this, the sins which doth so easily beset us. Now, that word beset is not a word that we commonly use anymore, but it just really means this idea of, again, the sins that we so easily uh, entangle us, the sins that we wrestle with on a continual or regular basis. And last week, if you weren't here, you can catch the message online, but I just want to recap really quick for you. Last week, we begin with this really important question, and that question was this. What is going to be my approach to God when it comes to freedom? What is going to be my approach to God when it comes to freedom? And we discovered that there are really just two ways of approaching God. One way is what we call the tree of life. And the other approach, or the second approach, is what we call the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, it shows up in the book of Genesis. This is where we get it from. Let me just show you an illustration to help me emphasize my point here. You can see that on one side is the tree of life. And the tree of life, listen, is really characterized by what? By life-giving relationship with God. It's about loving God, knowing God, knowing him intimately and being loved by God. And this is the tree that we want to live from. On the other side of that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree is characterized by religious obligation, learned behavior, dead religion. We could even add to that sort of religious ritualism or religiosity. This is void of life. And it's all about more like rules and just religious behavior, but void of life, void of a relationship with God and We want to live as people, listen, who live from the tree of life. And how we approach God when it comes to our freedom will make all the difference. It will make all the difference. Now, when it comes to these two trees, I want to come back to that at the very end of my message. So just hold on to that because we'll come back and we'll figure out, we'll learn how can we take these trees, these two different trees, how are we supposed to actually sort of practice this out, living from the tree of life that is, okay? But this morning, what I want to do is I want us to open our Bibles to the Gospel of John. We're going to go to John chapter 8, John chapter 8, and there is a conversation that Jesus is having with many of his followers, And then the religious rulers of that day begin to respond. And then there's somewhat of a debate that happens between Jesus and then the religious rulers of that day. And we're going to begin in verse number 31. I'll give you a bit of context, and then we'll continue on in verse number 42. So verse 31, here's what it says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said... If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus talks about, listen, that if we're going to find freedom, obviously it comes through a relationship with him, with Jesus. Jesus calls himself in John 14. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
And so knowing the truth in Jesus Christ leads us to freedom. And then the Pharisees in this conversation, they respond with a bit of antagonism. And they actually begin to say, you know what, we've never been a slave to anyone, which is kind of comedic. It's a bit funny, honestly, because if you look at the history of the Jewish people, they were, of course, slaves to the Egyptians in the past, but that's a different story. And words are exchanged between Jesus and the Pharisees, and they end up claiming that they have no other father but that of who is God. They say, our only father is God. But then Jesus calls them out. And he begins to to touch on, to speak on their true origin, where they actually come from. And that's from, and that we see this in verse number 42. So let me flip there, read just a few verses. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you are unable to hear what I say. And then Jesus says this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And we're going to end right there. And I want us to just take a few moments We are going to pray together, and then we will continue with the rest of our message this morning. Father, we love you, and we're so uh, grateful to be in your presence, God, to gather in your name, to worship, to hear the scriptures proclaim, Lord. And we just pray, God, that you would just soften hearts today, that you would draw men and women and children to you. Um, Lord, um, really just open blind eyes in this place, Lord. We're so grateful for the work that you're already doing, that you've already done to soften our hearts through worship. Now continue to lead us and guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Um, We will give you all the praise for it. And Father, we pray that you would indeed set captives free this morning from the lies that we believe, which all of us have believed a lie to some extent or another. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes, come and convict our hearts, and that we might repent from sin, that we might cling to Jesus for life and find freedom in him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when it comes to the devil or the idea of the devil, many people in our culture picture this. And you can see this behind me, this little cute little image of the devil. And some of you are laughing. It's just fun, you know, kind of innocent, you know, um, a little mischievous even. You know, the devil, he's on one of our shoulders tempting us to maybe stretch the truth just a little bit. But for the most part, I mean... Nothing that we really need to be worried about. Nothing that we truly need to be concerned with. Because after all, the devil really is just a figment of our imagination. That's what a lot of people in the world today believe. But when we look at John chapter 8 in the words of Jesus, this is not what Jesus believed about the devil. Not at all, actually. I want to just point out three quick things. There's a lot to say about the devil. We could do a whole hour. I don't want to give him any glory. But... The, the, the idea is, is we, we learn many things about who the devil is, and that's a different sermon for a different time. But I want to just pull out three things that we learned quickly this morning. Number one, we learned this. The devil is real. The devil is real, right? So contrary to popular culture, he's real. He's not just a fictional character. He's not just on a, on a reality television show. He is real. He's not just a figment of our imagination. We have a very real spiritual enemy Who wants us dead, if I can just be blunt with it? The devil is real. Number two, we learn this. The devil is the father of lies. He's the father of lies. And what this means is this. It means that the way he chooses to destroy people and destroy nations is primarily through lies. He's a liar. In fact, Jesus says he cannot tell the truth because there is no truth in him. It's his native language. Have you ever been to another country outside of the U.S.? Maybe it was Mexico. Maybe it was um, 
I don't know, Germany, and they spoke, you know, uh, Spanish or German or, or whatever it might be, and they have a native language, a native tongue. And when you walk into that culture, you are not familiar with that language. Maybe you just know a few words. You feel like the outsider because that language is not familiar to you. And the language that Jesus says that's most familiar to the devil, the one he speaks most often, if not all the time, is the language of lies. The devil is a liar, and he lies to us. Number three, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and set people free. One person is excited about that, amen? <laughs> The rest of you are like, not a big deal. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus said this, that we must hold to his teaching. And if we hold to his teaching, we really are his disciples. We will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's right. The truth will set you free. But you got to know the truth. you got to practice the truth. You have to walk in the truth. It's not enough for all of us to just sort of know it cognitively. It must work itself down to our hearts into the way that we live our lives. Amen? We must know the truth and walk in the truth. But to believe a lie is to what? Is to be held in bondage, to be a slave to something. And we are all lied to in one shape or another. Think about this, church. We've all been lied to. We've been lied to by the devil. We've been lied to by the ideologies and the philosophies of our world, right? We've even, to take it up another notch, we've even been deceived by ourselves. Like, we've lied to ourselves. We've believed another message on our own. We've suppressed the truth, according to Paul, because of the wickedness inside of us. We, we can deceive ourselves. You know what? We're, we're really pretty crafty. We can, we can justify pretty much about anything. Amen? Right? We, we can justify pretty much anything. I love what John Mark Comer says in his book, Live No Lies. He says this, our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from their captivity to lies and liberate them with the weapon of Truth. This is your weapon right here, right? Amen, church? This is, this is our weapon, to, to, to know the truth, to live by the truth, to, to meditate on this truth day and night. And so this morning, listen, a part of what we're learning here is this idea that we're going to expose the lies of the world, expose the lies of Satan himself. Because here's what happens. When we expose the lie, we defeat the liar. When we expose the lie, we defeat the liar. Now, let me just give you one more implication because I know we don't often talk about this, but another implication of the fact that the devil is a liar is the fact that we as believers must forsake all lying ourselves or stretching the truth. And sometimes I've learned in pastoral ministry, and I know that maybe we have good intentions, but a lot of Christians can stretch the truth, and they're a little white lie because they just want to be nice. And I'm not saying you need to be mean. I'm not saying you need to be a jerk to, to your friends or to coworkers. No, you don't need to do that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the gospel calls us to what? To speak the truth and love, to, to love people with the truth and and. We're so afraid now to, to give truth to people, and we are, under, we are underemphasizing the power of the truth of God's word to set people free. And so what we, what we often want to do is coddle people and be nice to people. I don't really want to say that. It would be me. Right? But again, we're underemphasizing the power of the truth of God's word to set people free. And the, actually, the most... A uh, non-compassionate thing that you can do is to not give people truth, right? To love people is actually to give them truth, to give them the truth from God's word in a loving way, of course, 100%, but to give them this truth. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I, I want to show you uh, 10 ways, actually 11 ways. I changed it in my notes. I added it this morning. 11 ways that we can be deceived by the devil and the world. Because one more time, church, when we expose the lie, we defeat the liar. Okay? And at the end of our message, what I want to do is I just want to ask ourselves, what lies have I believed? 
what lies, Holy Spirit, show me what lies have I believed. And let me forsake those lies. And let me cling to the truth now, right? Let me, let me welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit into my life. Cling to the truth of God. And then what? Walk in freedom. Begin to walk in freedom. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, um, we got a lot of passages of Scripture to, to cover this morning. So sometimes I'll go a little quick, lots of points. If you're taking notes, you'll have to take quick notes or just watch the live stream later on. It'll be on, it'll be on the Internet, all right? All right, lie number one, church. Believing that having an abundance of money and possessions will make me happy. Believing that having an abundance of money and possessions will make me happy. Luke 12, 13, or 12, 15, rather. And then he said to them, watch out. This is the words of Jesus. Be on your guard against all kinds of, what does it say? Greed. Life does not consist in an, in an abundance of possessions. This is the words of Jesus. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that even in Christian circles, that some Christians will live beyond their means because they believe that it will make them happy, right? They live beyond their means because they think it, it will make them happy. They go into a, an inordinate amount of debt because they think that more stuff will make them happy. Sometimes even in Christian circles, here's what we do. We spend more money because we want to have the appearance of wealth so that other people will accept us. Or we want to fit into that group of friends over here that they're way beyond what we make, but we're trying to fit in with that group of friends, and so we spend more money, we buy things we don't really need, right, so that this group of friends on this side will accept us and receive us, so we're trying to use wealth, or the appearance, rather, of wealth to be accepted, to be liked, to be loved by other people. I've seen so many people do this. Maybe you heard Dave Ramsey. We talked about this uh, class that we Financial Peace University, Dave Ramsey once said this, that we buy things we don't need with the money that we don't have to impress people we don't like. <laughs> Point taken, Dave Ramsey. Point taken, right? Hey, listen, it's okay to have nice stuff. I like nice stuff, and, and I'm not here to bash nice stuff. That's not the message. The heart behind the message is what really counts. It's okay to have nice stuff. It's not okay for nice stuff to have you. Let me just ask you a few questions and then we'll move forward. Are you trying to fit in with your friends through money? Don't, don't raise your hand. That'll be awkward. <laughs> Are you hoping others will accept you because of your appearance of wealth? What about this one? This is going to sting. Are you robbing God of the tithe for more toys like vehicles and boats and campers and other stuff? If you answer yes to any of these, listen, you may be believing a lie about money and possessions. But the more you have, the happier it will make you. The reality is, is that the more you have, the more responsibility you have, and the more you want more stuff. It gets old about 24 hours later. Lie number two, believing that eating food, drinking alcohol, or using drugs can relieve my stress and make me happy. I'm picking on everyone today, so. <laughs> Proverbs 23, 19 through 21 says this. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on charcuterie boards. <laughs> says meat there, actually. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Listen, we all need to relieve stress, but overeating, drunkenness, drug use, those are all destructive patterns of sin that can destroy our lives, right? We need to recognize this. These coping mechanisms, here's what they do. They offer temporary relief, but they leave us permanently enslaved. And so often what we do, church, is this is we exchange, I've seen so many people, even myself, I'm prone to do this, we exchange temporary happiness for permanent slavery. Because listen, I get it, like, have you ever had a McDonald's Coke, like after 30 days of no sugar? 
I'm telling you, it hits different. <laughs> hits different. I mean, it's like a rush. It is a dopamine. I mean, it is like, oh, oh. eyes roll back in your head just a bit, and you're like, right? It's an encounter. So the dopamine hit, the rush that we feel from maybe the glass of wine, the, 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 the tall boy, I mean, you know, whatever your thing is. And, and, and the Bible doesn't speak against drinking as a whole. It speaks against drunkenness. So we need to be very, like, very clear about that. And we also need to make sure that our, we're not taking our convictions and lording them over other people. Because I've seen a lot of religious people do that. Maybe for you, you can't have a drink, but it doesn't mean that you need to go walking around condemning every Christian who has a glass of wine every once in a while. No, 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 you're just being a religious Pharisee now. Bible speaks very clearly against drunkenness, right? That these things become vices, that they take their claws and they sort of dig into us and they grab a hold of us and then we, again, we exchange temporary happiness for permanent enslavement I want to just reference this very quickly. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. The last fruit of the Spirit is what? Self-control. Self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that God is working within you. You don't work for the fruit. You, it's a byproduct of life with God. It's a byproduct of life with God. So you're not trying to work for fruit. You're, you're actually pursuing Jesus. But listen, the point is self-control is one of those fruit. And as a, as a Christian minister, I have to be very careful, right? I'm an example. I have to live my life self-controlled. That means of food. That means of entertainment. That means of how I, I use my time. I have to have self-control. It's not because God is trying to handcuff me or put me in chains. It's because God wants my freedom. God wants my freedom, and he wants your freedom as well. Line number three, believing that an attractive body or image will meet my needs for acceptance and significance. Notice, notice the purpose, to, to gain acceptance and significance. Nothing wrong with working out. Nothing wrong with t- taking care of your temple. You should be doing that, eating healthy. You know, all those things are really good for you, and this is not what this is about. This is about your body and your image trying to find acceptance and significance through that. Notice what Proverbs 31.10 says. We know this proverb, many of us do. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. A wife of noble character. Church, let me just remind you this morning. Listen, beauty is important to many of us, and I get that, and I don't think there's anything inherently evil about that. It certainly is a factor when you're choosing a spouse. So I'm not here to tell you to marry someone who you don't find attractive. That's not the message here. The message this morning is this. Listen, the Bible's emphasis is not on external beauty, but on internal character. So look at Proverbs 31.10 again. Notice what the Proverbs, the, the writer of Proverbs says. It doesn't say, a wife who's super hot, who can find? She's worth far more than rubies. A wife who's a total smoke show, who can find? She's worth more, far more than rubies. I think we would read that and we'd be like, really? Like, that's ancient wisdom? I don't know. Like, did somebody change this? No, it's a, it's a wife of what? Of noble character. Now, for all of us, again, I'm not saying that beauty is, is something that we, you know, uh, I don't want to diminish it totally, but it's very subjective. We know this, obviously. The idea is that the Bible is always emphasizing what? Internal character. Look at the next verse. uh, Fast forward in Proverbs 31, if you'll put that up there. Verse number 30. Here's what it says. Charm is deceptive and beauty is what? It's running away from you. It's it's fleeting. Those of us who are getting a little older, we're like, come on, Lord, just keep my, I just want to hold on to beauty a little bit longer, right? But it's fleeting. And then it says this, but, which shows contrast in the text, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Fears the Lord. It's not talking about external beauty, but internal character. And so our significance in our worth, listen, can I just be honest with you? Like looking back on my life, my, my image changes. Like I gain weight, I lose weight, I, you know, I look pudgy here, I look skinny there. It's like, I mean, our image changes like constantly for the rest of our lives. 
And so we just can't put all of our eggs in that basket, right? We can't look for significance and self-worth merely in how we look on the outside, but we should emphasize our characters being shaped in the image of Christ. That's where we find our self-worth. Amen, church? Line number four, believing that I can associate with bad company and not become corrupted. Woo-wee, I'm coming for you this morning. <laughs> believing that I can associate with bad company and not become corrupted. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 through 34, Paul says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you are and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Can I just tell you this morning, um, the reason why we have small groups here at Radiant Church is not because we think it's a trendy idea. It's not because we think, oh, you know what, these are, these are what um, other churches, about 500 to 600 people do as well, so we should do it, we should do the same thing as they do. No, we understand and realize the value of what? Of Christian community. And the idea is this, is that you become like the five people you hang out with the most. Now, I know some of us will kick back on that idea just a bit, but it's true. There is something about the relationships that we have and those who are closest to us that we become more and more like them. This is why it's so important that we choose our friends carefully. Young people, hear me this morning. If you're in high school, if you're in middle school this morning and you're here in the service, if you're watching online, please, please, please choose your friends carefully. Choose your friends carefully because they can make or break you. The idea is this, is that when I hang around people of great faith, people who share faith stories of how God has moved in miraculous ways in their lives, man, you know what happens to me? My faith increases. Glory to God. My faith gets bigger. I trust God more when I hang around people of faith. When I hang around great leaders like Pastor Michael Mike Popenhagen or Pastor Lee, and I get around these great leaders, right? Man, my vision grows significantly. My, my capacity to dream bigger grows, just gets significant. Why? Because I'm becoming like the people I'm associating with. How many of you know that the opposite is also true, right? When I hang around negative people, man, I become more cynical. When I hang around negative Nancys, I become more pessimistic, I start to not trust God as much as I used to. Like, I don't know if he's going to show up. He's not going to. Can I ask you a question? Who are you spending most of your time with? Who are you spending most of your time with? Your closest friends, church, will either propel you into the future or bury you into the ground. And so you have to decide, what do you want your future to look like? Now, I get the kickback. Pastor Marco, though, Jesus hung around sinners all the time. No. Wrong. Correction. No, Jesus ministered to sinners. He hung around his disciples. He ministered to sinners, but he hung out with his disciples. In fact, Jesus' inner circle, his, his posse, his homies, James, John, one more, Peter. These were his disciples that were closest to him. He spent most of his time with them so that they could be more like him. And so choose your inner circle very carefully and don't buy into the lie that you can hang around anyone and not be changed. Don't fall for that lie. That's a lie. It's garbage. Lie number five, believing I can sin and suffer no negative consequences. Believing I can sin and suffer no negative consequences. Hebrews 3, 12, and 13 the writer says this, he says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage another, one another daily, as long as it's called a day, so that, here's the reason now, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Many people today in our world believe this, you know what, as long as I'm not hurting anyone, I can live however I want to live. I'm not hurting anyone, Mom. It's just me and him. No, that's garbage. That's a lie from the pit of hell. From the pit of hell. 
Your sin always hurts those who are closest to you. Your sin always has ramifications for those who are nearest to you. Not only that, sin's deceitfulness has a way of what? Hardening our hearts. And the more that we sin, the more our hearts become callous to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Some people, listen, have grown so hardened that they have no concept of what it means to love others correctly and to be loved by someone. Their hearts have grown hardened. Let me give you an example. This past week, uh, me and our staff here at Radiant Church, we were going to kind of like, I came up with this idea of celebrating Love Week, right? Valentine's Day. I called it Happy Love of God Day. And so we bought a bunch of gift cards to grocery stores and to um, gas stations. And we're like, okay, we got all these gift cards. Let's go out into the community. Let's just bless random people. We're like, yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Split up into three different teams. Each team had three people in it. And um, many people received it and were like blown away. People were giving us looks like, are you, are you sure? We're like, no, we're totally sure. No strings attached. Some of us asked, like, where do you go to church? And we're like, yeah, I go to Radiant Church. Like, the pastor is so cool. You should go check it out, right? <clears throat> Such a good guy. You'll like him, I promise you. And so, uh, <laughs> but there was a group of three people, Pastor Jacob, Pastor Sarah, and um, my wife actually was in that group. And they were at a certain grocery store. I won't name that grocery store. And they tried to give a gift card to one person, and they would just not receive it. Uh, another person said, you know what? I, I think other people have more needs than I do. And I thought that was noble. She was being honest. So they, did, you know, they appreciated that. So um, they gave it to somebody else or tried to give it to somebody else. But as they were in this certain grocery store, uh, I don't know if it was a manager or an employee, she came out and she was angry. She was angry because... We were trying to bless people. And so she said something along the lines of, don't stuff your religion down my throat. And we're like, whoa, like what? They were like, wow, okay. Like we're not trying to stuff any religion down anyone's throat. We're just showing the love of God to people. And she kicked them out of the grocery store. Now listen, I don't know. Maybe she was just having a terrible day. So, so I'm not here to throw her under the bus. What I'm here to do is give you an example that, listen, her heart was hardened. She couldn't even receive love. She couldn't even fathom that people wanted to just bless others with no, for no reason and no strings attached. I mean, that's sad. And we, we should pray for that woman, right? Honestly, because her heart is hardened that she has no concept of how to love, how to receive love. She's so cynical that she's like, how can you do this? Get out of my store. It's like, wow. That's crazy that there are people who... Hearts have grown that hardened. So listen, I want to remind you this morning, don't believe in the lie that you can just sin and do whatever you want and you'll never suffer any negative consequences. Lie number six, believing that I can read, see, or listen to anything and not be corrupted. Believing that I can read, see, or listen to anything and not be corrupted, okay? Now, this is like, this is for all of us, and for all of us, this is, these are different things as well. That's why we have to be very careful that we, we don't become Pharisees, and we're just pointing finger at certain people, because th this point hits us all differently, okay? So we want to we live from the tree of life, not live from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which tries to make everything about a certain rule, but we're pursuing a person. His name is Jesus. Proverbs 4, 23 and 27 says this, Above all else, notice, guard your heart. We know this verse. We love this verse. For everything you do flows from it. And then notice what that means. He says, keep your mouth free from perversity. Keep corrupt talk from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought, your mind, to the past for your feet. And be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. I think this is very interesting that the, the writer of Proverbs says to guard your heart. But guarding your heart looks a very certain way. It means this. It means what? It means guarding what you look at. It, mean, it means guarding what you hear and listen to. It means, it means guarding what you're thinking about on a regular basis. The idea is this, is that you and I become like the thing that we fix our eyes on the most. Or we become that, like that which we gaze upon the most. 
It's true. We become like that which we gaze upon the most. So we cannot just believe the lie that we can just take whatever content in and not be changed or corrupted. Whether that be, listen, whether that be movies, social media, news, whatever it is for you. Here, church, I want to remind you, we are disciples of someone or something. It's just a matter of whose disciple you belong to, whose disciple you are. If you scroll TikTok and Instagram for hours every day, you will become angry, anxious, and insecure, and probably depressed. I'm, jo- I'm not joking. There is all types of research that have found this. But insecurity is linked to social media use. Anxiety, increased anxiety, is linked to social media use. If you watch hours of dirty television every single day, you will likely become what? Lustful, compulsive, addictive, and fearful. We become like whatever or whoever we continually gaze upon or take in. So what are you allowing in on a daily basis? What are you watching on a daily basis? What are you taking in on a daily basis? Lie number seven, believing that I must gain the approval of certain people in order to be happy, right? I think young people, we we get caught up in that uh, more so than probably the rest of us. If you're a young person, if you're high school student, middle school student, right, you want to be accepted, you want to fit in, and and that's normal, by the way. Uh, But I think... We can believe the lie that if we get accepted by that certain person, by that certain people group, that we will all of a sudden become happy in life, that we, have, we will have sort of made it, right? Galatians 1.10, Paul says, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You see, the apostle Paul set his life's aim at seeking, right, the approval of God and not man. The Apostle Paul had much opposition when it came to people, but instead of being swayed by people's thoughts and opinions of him, he was rather swayed by his heavenly Father who loves him. And it's so easy for us to be drawn into the fear of man. The fear of man is being overly concerned about people's thoughts and opinions of us. We are so controlled by the way people think about us or what they say about us that it will influence our decisions. And when it influences our decisions, we are now giving control over to them. And so we can take control back in our lives by what? By choosing not to be a people pleaser, and choosing to be a God-pleaser. This is not permission for you to be mean to people, to be a jerk. I'm just trying to please God. Get out of my face. No, that's not the message. Just a rude person is what you are, actually. This is just a message that is encouraging us to seek the approval of our Heavenly Father and not get caught into the lies of our world that has us trying to seek the approval, seek the attention, seek the praise of men. We can have the applause of men but not be known by God. Lie number eight, believing that I must measure up to certain religious standards in order for God to accept me. Here we go here. Here's an example of the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Are we just pursuing rules for rule's sake, which is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or are we pursuing a person which, who is Jesus Christ, and he's shaping and forming us and molding us into his image, right? Galatians 3.11, Paul again, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. He says, Because the righteous will live by what, church? Faith. The righteous live by faith. The righteous don't live by adherence to rules. Now, I'm not diminishing that at all. Not at all. I'm not diminishing obedience. I'm just saying that we're not made right by that. We're not justified by that. We're justified by our faith in Jesus Christ, not adherence to a moral law. 
We're saved by grace through faith, and this is a gift from God. James also says this. He says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. James 2, verse 10. So if you say, I'm going to live by the law, and I'm going to adhere perfectly to the law, but then you just break one small fraction of the law, the Bible says it's the same as you just breaking all of it. It is a burden that you will never, ever be able to carry and to maintain. No, the righteous, listen, those who are, those who are justified are justified because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Christ. We believe that he did the work. He did all the the lifting for us, and now we trust in his finished work at the cross. Lie number nine, believing that there are many paths to God, and Jesus is only one of the many ways. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, right now in our world, religious pluralism says that all ways to God are equally valid or all religions are valid or maybe even this, all religions are true. This is what religious pluralism believes. But the Christianity is exclusive The invitation is for everyone, of course, but it's only through one person, and that's through Jesus. Again, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Many people in our world will say this, all paths lead to God, but that cannot be the case. That cannot be true. The only way it could be true is if all religions taught the same thing about God, which they do not do. In fact, Most of the world religions contradict other religions to some degree or another, which means that they cannot all possibly be true. It's just a logical fallacy. The idea is some who will swing to the other side will say, well, guess what? All religions are equally valid, but all religions are false. There's no religion. There's nothing right at all. But again, why couldn't one particular religion be true? And there are many arguments on that. Side, and I don't want to get lost in the forest, but if Jesus is the only way, which that's what we believe as Bible-believing Christians, one of the biggest objections that I often hear that I've heard before is, what about those who have never heard of Jesus, right? What about those who have never heard of Jesus? Well, I think one of the answers is us. <laughs> They're supposed to hear it through us. But the other part of that is this, is that thank God, God is so gracious, he's so good, that he does not judge us based on what we do not know, he judges us based on what we do know. Furthermore, Paul says this in Romans, he says that man is truly without excuse, because God's power, his glory, the evidence of his existence has been clearly been visible to all mankind through what? Through creation. We can look at creation and know that something made that. God exists. Paul actually says this as well, that all mankind has the ability. They know that God exists through what? Through moral law, through the existence of their conscience. Furthermore, Paul says this. He writes this to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 in the New Living Translation. He says, this is good And pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. I think what we need to understand about the heart of God is that the heart of God wants everyone to be saved. He's not just trying to figure out who we can send to hell, who we can burn up, who we can strike with lightning. The heart of God is that no one would perish, but that everyone would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is the heart of who our God is. Jesus is, though, the only way to the Father, contrary to how, no matter how offensive our world believes that is. Lie number 10, believing that gratifying sexual lust will bring lasting satisfaction without any negative consequences. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality, All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 
Now, here's what I want to say. Every sin has a consequence, okay? Every sin has a consequence. We know this. But the Bible is very explicit, especially in the New Testament, about sexual immorality, about fornication, about sexual sin. Paul says that we just read it that every other sin is outside of your body, but sexual sin is with your body. And we know the body was bought at a very high price. It was bought with the blood of Jesus. We know that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, of course. And there's something spiritual happening when, when two unite in sexual uh, intercourse. There's a spiritual element. There's a bonding. There's a connection that takes place. And when that is ripped apart without the confines of a commitment and a covenant, which is inside of marriage of one man and one woman, there's a lot of damage that is caused. Hearts are broken. I mean, it just leads to incredible damage in people's lives. So you can believe the lie that, hey, you know what, it's just me and him. It's, we're just two consenting adults, and you know what, like, my small group doesn't have to worry about this. My pastor doesn't have to worry about this sin. It's, it's, it's all good, you know what I mean? We're just, we, he said yes, I said yes, and we're, we're fine. Everything's going to be fine. Um, it's just not the truth, right? It's not the truth. Fulfilling your sexual desires outside marriage covenant can lead and will lead to all types of hurt in a world of pain. I have one more truth here, Jacob. <laughs> Number 11. If you'll put that up there. Believing that Jesus only exists to affirm me. This is like one of the primary lies of our world and our culture today. That Jesus only exists to affirm me. And what that means is this, is that Jesus only exists to affirm me in all of my sin. Jesus would never, never say that I have to walk away from a life of sin. Jesus would never judge me. Jesus, Jesus would never say I need to change. He would, that's not my Jesus. Well, your Jesus is not the biblical Jesus then. Your Jesus is another Jesus. He's a figment of your imagination because the Jesus in the Bible calls us to repent. John chapter 8, we know the story in the beginning of John chapter 8. There's a woman there who's caught in adultery. She's brought sort of to the public by the Pharisees, and they're ready to stone her. So Jesus is on the scene, and Jesus says, listen, whoever has no sin in their lives, you may cast the first stone. Now, they all put their stones down because they recognize, they realize, I mean, they're all with sin. And so they begin to, to walk away, you know, and, you know, Jesus draws that line in the sand, and Jesus looks at the woman and says, hey, where are your accusers? And she's like, well, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. But then the way he ends the story, the way the story ends is so vital for us. He says, now go and what? Leave your life of sin. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Just keep doing you, girl. See ya. <laughs> hey, I love you. Come and give me a hug. It's all good. Just do what you do. Do, do what you do. No, 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 no. The, the, the Jesus of Scripture is both grace and truth. Jesus in that story exhibits grace by what? Showing forgiveness, right? Mercy. He says, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. But then the truth comes into play when Jesus says, listen, come here. Here's what you need to do. Go sin no more. Go leave your life of sin because your sin is the problem. It's what's, it's what's destroying your life. And so Jesus doesn't just exist to affirm us. I know that's what a lot of people believe today. It's what our culture preaches. But Jesus' love is so powerful that it transforms us from the inside out. He calls us to repentance because he knows it's our sin that's taking us to hell. It's our sin, listen, that keeps us separated from him. And Jesus came to, to die for our sin, to set us free, to forgive us, so that we might what? Walk in his freedom. So we must, we must wrestle with this question. Who do we love more? Do we love our sin more or do we love Jesus more? Because if we're going to love our sin more, listen, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not saying that we can hold on to our ways, our worldly ways. The gospel says, no, be liberated, be for, forgiven, and then repent 
of all wrongdoing. This is the message of the gospel. This is the message that sets us free. This is the message that our young people need to hear today. Not that you need to be affirmed in everything that you do. And if I don't affirm you, I hate you. No, we need a message that's far greater, far much more loving than that. We need a message that says, come and find freedom, forgiveness, and healing in Jesus Christ today. And church, we're going to go ahead and close up our time. Let me just ask you a question. Are there lies that you've believed? What lies have you believed? As you look back on what we talked about, these 11 different points, what are the lies that you've believed? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to renounce those lies. Renounce those lies. Turn away from them. Cling to the truth found in God's word and begin to walk in those ways. And I know it's, a, it's much easier said than done. And I get that. Again, I'm not naive. I understand it takes much more than a sermon for people to be set free. But I believe truly today that you can be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. That he will show you what lies you are believing. He will turn your heart to begin to walk in newness of life, in his truth. And one last thing, let me just say this. I talked about this, that I would close the message by coming back to the two trees. So let's do that right now. Let me show you the two trees at work here, and I want you to choose life. The tree of life, listen, brings conviction, which is good, because conviction leads to change. And we need to change, right? God calls us to change. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil only leads to what? Condemnation. Condemnation. And condemnation only leads to what? Shame. So, so, so church, here's what I want you to do. I want you to choose the tree of life which brings conviction, which leads to change. How do you know, Marco, if I have to do that? Here's how you know. Are you right now experiencing guilt? Like, oh, I'm so stupid. I keep doing the same thing. Ah, number five, dang it, he got me. I'm such a moron. I don't know how I'm ever gonna do this. I'm a loser. I'm supposed to be on Team Radiant. I'm still doing that. That's the voice of the evil one. And now you're, you're living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, no, no. I want you to choose to come back to the tree of life and save Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I receive grace. I receive mercy as a son in the house of God today. Lord, I know you love me, and I don't know how you do it, but Jesus paid the price so I could be free. And so I choose to walk in that freedom today. This morning, I choose it. I choose to receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads to change. Come and set me free right now in Jesus' name. Listen, and begin to walk in the Jesus way, not in condemnation, which leads to shame, but in conviction that leads to change. Amen, church? Let me pray for you this morning. Father, we thank you for this message. Now come and set captives free, Lord, we pray. We renounce every lie of the enemy today. Forgive us of the lies that we have believed. Forgive us, Lord, of the lies and the ways that we have deceived ourselves. God, forgive us for buying into the garbage that we see social media and, and, and the news and whatever it is, God, the woke ideologies that exist in our culture today, Lord, we turn away from that message and we turn to the message of freedom in Jesus Christ today. Forgive us, God. We receive your forgiveness, your mercy and grace, and we remember the words of Jesus in John 8, now go and sin no more. We choose to walk in your light and your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's clap our hands this morning, church. Come on, somebody.